My name is Herb Montgomery, and I'm the director of Renewed Heart Ministries. Before we begin this week, I want to take a moment to pause and remember the 49 victims of the Orlando shooting. This tragic event took place at the Gay Nightclub Pulse, where our lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning siblings within our human family were targeted. 53 others were injured. That's 102 beautiful lives that are either gone or, at minimum, will never be the same. Within the Jewish wisdom tradition, it is said whoever sheds human blood diminishes the divine image. Destroying one human life is equivalent to annihilating the entire world. In this instance, it was a specific demographic within our world that was purposefully, hatefully, and senselessly singled out. This was the largest targeted mass killing of LGBT people in, in the Western world since the Holocaust. Our hearts at Renewed Heart Ministries are with the families and loved ones of those who are both injured and lost. Our hearts are with the LGBTQ community at large who daily live in fear, afraid to drop their guard, constantly aware that they are at some level of risk and ever performing habitual safety checks assessing their surroundings when they're in public. You are not alone. We grieve with you. And we at Renewed Heart Ministries will continue to stand alongside you in the work to end homophobia, heterosexism, and the violence through which they most often find their expression. We acknowledge and affirm your presence within our human family. You deserve dignity, respect, and most of all, you deserve life. And to all the critics, our time among the LGBTQ community has taught us that there really is only one, as is so-called, gay agenda, and that too often, sadly, is simply to survive. If history has proven anything, it is that those who are excluded today will be eliminated and exterminated tomorrow. To the LGBTQ community, we love you, we are standing with you, and when needed, we pledge to stand between them and you. The names of those lost will not be forgotten. I'll put a link in this week's e-site to the Renewed Heart Ministry's tribute to those names as well. Varied is the image of God, and our work will continue. As the sun continues to rise, so will our efforts till the day comes when our world is a safer, more just, more compassionate home for us all. This is Herb Montgomery, and I want to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. This is episode 176 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title this week is Confronting Potential Followers. Our feature text is from Sang's Gospel Q 9, 57 through 60. And when someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the sky have nests, but the son of humanity does not have anywhere he can lay his head. But another said to him, Master, permit me to go and first bury my father. And But he said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Comparison text this week, uh, Luke 9, 57 through 60, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, 
first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the de- their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Matthew 8, 19-22, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And even in Gospel of Thomas 86, Jesus says, Foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head down and to rest. Jesus wasn't a politician and Jesus wasn't uh, a pastor. Too often, diplomacy, peacekeeping as opposed to peacemaking, and and efforts to appeal to the largest number of people are the, the modus operandi of those who are working for social change but are also trying to obtain or maintain a, a position of privilege in the status quo. But this wasn't Jesus's method in Sang's Gospel Q. I'm reminded of the, the lyrics to Bob Dylan's song Like a Rolling Stone, When You Got Nothing, You Got Nothing to Lose. Jesus wasn't trying to win at, at popularity. And one of my favorite quotations from Peter Gomes's book, The Scandalous Gospel of Jesus, is good news to some will almost inevitably be bad news to others in order that the gospel in the New Testament might be made as palatable as possible to as many people as possible. Its rough edges have been shorn off, and the radical edge of Jesus' preaching has been replaced by a respectable middle, of which niceness is now God. And when Jesus came preaching, it was to proclaim the end of things as they are and the breaking in of things that are to be. The status quo is not to be criticized. It is to be destroyed. That's page uh, 31. And it seems that just about every time a crowd of followers begins to amass behind Jesus, he does something uh, to ground them, to, to make sure they understand exactly uh, what they're signing up for. And, 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 and what is the response? Most of the time he loses that, that, the, those large numbers of followers and, 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 they, and they simply walk away. Jesus wasn't trying to get as many people to go to a post-mortem heaven as possible when they died. He was working to create change here, now, today. And he realized that, that lip service wouldn't change anything. I don't think that Jesus would have been against uh, large membership lists. I, I think he just understood that numbers are meaningless when the people that are that are that those numbers represent uh, aren't, aren't significantly challenging the injustice and the violence and the oppression of our world in their deeds. Let's talk about this homelessness element in this week's saying. Uh, this week's statement is one of the most haunting statements that Jesus makes. At least it is for me personally. I'm not homeless. And in my lifestyle here in America, I don't reflect Jesus much at all. Uh, I have a family. Uh, Crystal and I have children. Uh, we look more like foxes and birds than we do like Jesus. And and I do wrestle with this. I, I wonder how much does my privilege and my reluctance to jeopardize that privilege hold me back from, from following Jesus's teachings more deeply. And also, I, I think of Christianity as a whole. Ever since the days of Constantine, the church has become one of the greatest holders of land and and property on earth, all while claiming to be following the homeless Jesus. The the church's land holdings have been at the root of of poverty and and, and complicit in economic structures that that cause poverty. 
historically. Um, yet one of the elements of ancient of the ancient Jewish hope was a vision of a day when everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and and no one will make them afraid. Remember that's Micah four four. The vision didn't include though large land holdings exclusively owned by a small oligarchy. And this ancient hope saw everyone with a secure place to live and provide for themselves. Yet it seems that Jesus abandoned the pursuit of property as long as that property meant joining a coalition within a domination system that exploited the poor, uh, transformed small independent farmers into debt-ridden indentured slaves under the Roman system, and and pressured the the temple leadership to religiously legitimize the system uh, as a means of working towards the Jewish hope of of property to all as a human right, Jesus chose solidarity with the property less rather than pursuing a propertied institution to establish his movements of of permanence. So so the, the, the Christian church has not done what Jesus did, and this gives me much cause to, to, to pause and to contemplate. The studies of, of U.S. capitalism and English enclosures and so Soviet collectivism, even, and South uh, uh, American uh, latifundia have shown that there's a deep connection between the creation of a dependent labor force uh, for the Western Industrial Revolution and, and the majority of the population's loss of land ownership. In the United States, land was concentrated into the hands of a few, and the majority of the population became dependent on, on working for industrialists just to scratch out a living. And the same happened in, in state-enforced capitalism, uh, state Soviet socialism, and colonial capitalism. Land ownership, remember though, is different from from property ownership. Um, Owning even a small home today, which could be called property ownership, still leaves people dependent on working for industrialists to pay a a mortgage. Much has been written on this history, and I recommend Joseph R. Stromberg's English uh, Enclosures and Soviet Collectivization. And I wrestle with how to work toward Mike's vision of everyone having their own safe vineyard. But but I take that wrestling as as a call to lean more deeply into experimentation, to find things that work and not stop at, at futility or, or throwing up my hands. As Dorothy Day once wrote in her journal, no one has a right to sit down and feel hopeless. There's too much work to do. At bare minimum, we might begin, as as Tolstoy stated in his book, The Kingdom of God is Within You, with being honest about what is transpiring around us. We, we begin to, to simply just tell the truth. Um, this is of page 263 through 264. It's a rather long quote, so stay with me. These are Tolstoy's words. And therefore, you cannot but reflect on your position as a landowner, manufacturer, judge, emperor, president, minister, priest, and soldier, which is bound Bound up with violence, deception, and murder, and recognize its unlawfulness. I do not say that if you are a landowner, you are bound to give up your lands immediately to the poor. If a capitalist or manufacturer, your money to your work people, or, or, or that if you are a czar, a minister, official, judge, or general, you are bound to, I do not say that you are bound to renounce immediately the advantages of your position, or if a soldier on whom all that system of violence is based, to 
to refuse immediately to obey in spite of all the dangers of insubordination? If you do so, you will be doing the best thing possible. Now, that's interesting that he says that, that even though he said, I do not say that, uh, I'll go ahead and say that if you did it, it'd be the best thing possible. But it may happen, he goes on to say, it is most likely that you will not have the strength to do so. So he's being a little honest about our abilities. He goes on, you have relations, a family, subordinates, and superiors. You are under an influence so powerful that you cannot shake it off, but you can always recognize the truth and refuse to lie about it. You need not declare that you are remaining a landowner, manufacturer, merchant, artist, writer, uh, because it's useful to mankind, and that you are a governor, prosecutor, czar, not because it's agreeable to you, uh, because you're used to it, but for the public good, that you continue to be a soldier, not from fear of punishment, but because you consider the army necessary to society. He's saying you can stop uh, saying these types of lies. You can always avoid lying in this way to yourself and to others, and you ought to do so because the one aim of your life ought to be to purify yourself from falsehood and to confess the truth. And you need only do that, and your situation will change directly. There is one thing and only one thing in which it is granted to you to be free in life, all else being beyond your power, and that is to recognize and profess the truth. And and I found this to be true in my own life. Just keep telling the truth. Even if you're on the wrong side of that truth, just keep speaking it. And you need only do that. And your situation will change directly of itself, as as he said. Maybe this is why Jesus uh, was unlike foxes and birds himself. He, he chose to speak the truth in a society that exploited uh, the many for the elite and, and, the mar- and marginalized and, and uh, othered few. Jesus chose not to be silent, even knowing it could cost him his life. He saw what Desmond Tutu and others uh, said much later on about uh, silence and, and neutrality. If you are neutral in situations of Injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. And that's from Unexpected News, Reading the Bible uh, with Third World Eyes by, by Robert McAfee Brown. Uh, that's page 19. Jesus chose not to be silent, even if it would cost him his life. And it did. And I, I've noticed even in my own life experiment with this. When you when you just tell the truth, your situation does change. People that uh, are benefited by the status quo or who are apologists for the status quo uh, get quite upset and, and, and you begin losing uh, some of those positions, some of those privileges. Um, let's talk about the dead for a moment. Jesus's comments about the dead burying the dead. Last week's Eastside helped us to, to understand Jesus would refer to the lethargic, passive, complicit, larger society around him as the dead. And some scholars believe that he made this statement about the dead burying their dead about a year after the the would-be disciple's father's death. In that area, the burial process sometimes had two parts. It involved an initial interment in in caves, hewn tombs, uh, catacombs, um, 
Um, then about a year later, a secondary burial of the remains uh, were made into ossuaries. Um, sometimes it took place again about a year after the original burial. But after the body, this was after the body had, had decomposed, and and the only remains were the bones of a of a deceased loved one. It was just the bones that were left. And I'll put a link to two articles on this on ossuaries and and the death and bereavement in Judaism and ancient burial practices. I'll put those links in, in the e-site. It's difficult to tell for sure whether Jesus's conversation with the follower was about uh, their request to take part in a, a first interment or, or a second. And, and it would be impossible for me to defend this saying if it was the, the first interment. Both within Jewish culture and according to Torah, denying someone burial was the most humiliating indignity that could be shown to the deceased. And that's from a Jewish encyclopedia on burial. But, but Jesus's social vision was rooted, remember, in people taking care of people. Now, I have a hard time believing that Jesus would be so callous as well as non-Jewish as to not let grieving people bury and properly grieve the loss of their loved ones, especially in the wake of the events of this week. And if the context of this saying uh, was second internment, however, um, this would have been a a year later, a year removed from the grief. And, And although it's still difficult to accept, the saying does contrast what was a Hellenistic Jewish ceremony related to what a a loved one was experiencing in their afterlife. And I'll put a link to that in Jewish burials in the East site. It contrasts uh, this concern for what they were experiencing post-mortem with a priority of a movement focused on, on taking care of those still alive. And sectors of modern Christianity place a high priority on obtaining entrance to a, a post-mortem heaven or avoiding a post-mortem hell while grossly ignoring the, the hell that many are living in now. And it could be that to them, the Jesus of this saying replies, uh, let the dead bury their dead. And this saying obviously challenges me. I don't see taking care of the living and, and honoring the dead as mutually exclusive. I see them as more connected. And however one interprets this saying of Jesus, whether one justifies this statement or they believe Jesus went too far in, in prioritizing his revolutions above what is decent and compassionate, this saying must be held in tension with a a Jesus who elsewhere defined his vision for human society as people taking care of one another rather than disregarding them. Either way, the confrontation in this week's saying is hard. It's a serious wake-up call uh, to us to to, to genuinely understand what we're signing up for when we choose to to lean more deeply into and begin following the teachings of the historical Jesus. Uh, This journey is not for for those who desire to remain comfortable. It's not about post-mortem destination that has little to do with the present life. This journey is about change. It's about liberation. Um, it, it's a path, and it's sometimes very difficult, of compassionate work towards systemically resolving those things that, that presently cause human suffering. It means embracing the, the way of the cross, not as sacrifice, but as Karen Baker Fletcher and Garth Baker Fletcher in My Sister, My Brother, 
brother say as actively struggling for social justice is a great statement on understanding the cross in its context on page uh, 79 through 80. Um, those those whole entire paragraphs are phenomenal in, the, in that volume. Make no mistake, the, the conventional domesticated Jesus of the American Christian religion is not the Jesus we find in the Jewish saints gospel queue. And, and this is a difference that, that is worth recognizing. So take some time this week and meditate on what this saying may mean for you. And someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of humanity does not have anywhere he can lay his head. But another said to him, master, permit me to first go and bury my father. But he said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Saints Gospel Q 957 through 60. Heart group application this week. It's much easier to face the challenges of societal change as a community. In fact, to follow Jesus's teachings regarding social change, it's impossible to do so outside of community. Jesus's method of subverting domination systems was community. So number one, this week, to honor your community, sit down with your heart group and share with each other ways that you can support one another in your private and communal efforts to follow the teachings of Jesus. And number two, actually write them out and discuss ways that you can come underneath and and support one another and and know what it looks like and and also what it doesn't look like and and what supporting one another uh, would cost the group as well as what it would cost uh, individuals. And then number three, choose at least one other person in this group to affirm and support in tangible ways this week and begin taking responsibility for taking care of each other personally. And as we've said before, we don't want to make following Jesus difficult. We want to be honest about where following Jesus already is difficult. And this is not an easy, feel-good way to arrive at a celestial shore. This is an honest, uh, compassionate way of, of healing and transforming our world till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. Thank you for checking in with us this week. Weekend. Um, to all those who are grieving the tragedy in Orlando, again, our hearts are with you and our work will continue. Uh, keep living in love. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, even our, our many educational events that we do in various venues, is for free. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab on the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure you also sign up for our free resources and remember, every little bit helps. And and as always, anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily give away to other not-for-profits who are are making both systemic and personal differences and significant differences in the lives of those who are not presently benefited by the status quo. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you so much. Your generous support makes it possible for us to exist and to continue being 
a presence for positive change in our world. So with all of our hearts, thank you. Together, we are making a difference till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. <laughs>